thank you, Warren, for agreeing to be on my podcast. I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. I know when we started setting this up, we had some scheduling issues. You, even with the, the corona lockdown, you are super busy with meetings and, and keeping yourself busy in other ways. So I don't know if you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself and then kind of give us a brief overview of what it is that you do. Okay, so yeah, so I, my, my interest has always been in martial arts and uh, I've been doing martial arts since the age of eight. And um, just to put it in better perspective, I've, that's almost two and a half decades ago that I started. Jeez, yeah. And uh, absolutely love it. And I say two and a half decades ago, that's being conservative. And um, that's when I took it seriously. <laughs> so I'm a little bit older than most people think. But I, I love martial arts and uh, I've pretty much dabbled in most of them. And when I say dabbled, is there, there are a few that I've, I've you know, obtained or downgraded. Uh, like I'm a fifth dan in, tai- in uh, Kendo, fourth dan in Taekwondo. Second day in Hapkido, I'm a certified pressure point um, teacher, I'm a Krav Maga instructor, and I've done firearms training. So I've done quite a vast array of stuff. Uh, and again, it's because I, I just have a deep passion for martial arts in general. So what I did realize, though, is that uh, after um, spending so many years in corporate is that I, I wanted to change my passion into a, into a business. And I would say back in 2008 is when I first sort of thought about, you know, moving out of the corporate world into a full-time martial arts slash self-defense business. And that for me was a big change is that I never wanted to sort of mix my business with martial arts. I always felt martial arts should be uh, pure, it should be in its purest form and charging money was just totally against my ethics and morals. And uh, so that's why I started the self-defense portion where I could take certain portions of the martial arts that I learned and customize it or package it into a a self-defense portion. I draw a very distinctive line between martial arts and self-defense. And, you know, one isn't the other unless it's taught in a very specific way. And I think a lot of schools teach martial arts and they say it's the traditional form of self-defense. But there's no, there's nothing, nothing such as a traditional form of self-defense. Crime is so dynamic. It changes every day. You know, criminals are intelligent. They change with the times as do we. So it can't be a traditional sport. You know, things that worked 2,000 years ago in ancient Japan where people bow to each other before getting into a fight doesn't happen now. Uh, so I had to adapt, adapt my sort of uh, version of self-defense to be more contemporary and more relevant for the modern world. So yeah, 2008 was when I first started the business. I only decided to go full-time into it um, probably about six years ago, which would make it about uh, 2000 and what, what is it, help me out yet? Uh, it's 2020 now, so 2014? 2014. Yeah, yeah, 2014 is when I went full-time into my business and I left my corporate job after 14 years of being corporate. Yeah, yeah, so... You were obviously in corporate, so um, I, I think looking into your background, you were kind of in the tech side. You worked for a telecommunication company. So, I mean, martial arts is completely different from what you were doing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I studied a BCom. I majored in information systems and marketing and second in corporate finance, so very big uh, different sort of career path. And I think for me that was the big revelation. I think um, varsity was never a conscious thought. It was sort of, well, I finished school, what are you going to do? And you you know, you sort of do what your, your parents want you to do, and that's sort of get a degree, you know. And um, my parents being obviously Asian, they wanted me either to be a doctor, accountant, a lawyer, you know, the sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> three. Yeah. So I, I opted, uh, and I actually tried my hand at actual science. I got into actual science, and 
after the first week of actual science, I was like, there's no way I'm going to keep up with this. It's too boring. So I, I sort of, um, and I say downgraded in all due respect to all the BCom students. I went from exercise to a BCom. And I thought BCom was a, a great job, so that was much better suited for me. But yeah, studying um, studying IT and marketing was quite a eye opener. And yeah, I eventually ended up in a corporate finance company. And then, like you said, in telecoms actually, you know, started off as a systems administrator, worked all the way up, all the way up to an IT manager. And eventually got bought up by a big corporate, a big red telecommunications corporate, I won't say who. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I was there for 14 years as a, uh, in various roles in um, project management, program management. So very different from what, I, what I'm doing now. How did you get your defense? Uh, well, I think you were on Defense Unlimited first, and now you're WarrenHo.net. How did you start everything? Yes. Did you do kind of market research to identify a gap? Was it through a network that you saw an opportunity, or just not necessarily a network? But how did you identify the opportunity to to actually start this as a business that was potentially going to earn yes. cash? Right. So I think back when I first envisaged uh, Defense Unlimited, which is the company, so my company still runs. Trading as WarrenHo.net, WarrenHo.net is just really more the branding. But Defense Unlimited is the holding company. And when I first decided to do this, it was mainly because of a lot of, I wouldn't say a lot of market research, but it was uh, various queries from people. Uh, they knew me and knew what I did, wanting me to teach self-defense. And then I think I had one big opportunity at Pharmaceutical, and they basically wanted me to do a team building the one day. And... Um, to put it lightly, the, the amount of money they were going to pay me for one day was equivalent to my back then one month's worth of corporate work. Jeez. And I was like, hey, this is pretty good money. <laughs> and you know, if I could do this, this would be great. Now, back then, there weren't many players in the self-defense field. These days, every Tom Dick and Harry's offering self-defense workshops and courses. There's so many organizations that are, have opened up in the last three years, I would say. And some are, some are very good, reputable places. And... Quite frankly, some I've never heard of, or they've converted from, they, they teach the traditional form of self-defense, which again, I have issues with. So back then, there wasn't much competition. And um, yeah, that was the whole point of me leaving corporate. Uh, there was a gap which I perceived, and if I could you know, get at least one of those a month, I would have covered my uh, corporate salary back then. Unfortunately, the, the economy did take a downturn, and because of more market players coming in, and perhaps also me as an entrepreneur not being familiar uh, on the sort of the business side of being an entrepreneur, I sort of uh, sort of lost that opportunity right at the spot. So that was a big learning curve for me, and um, yeah, so pay the pay the price and you know trying to rebuild from what I learned. There. How long did it take you to actually show a profit? You obviously did show a profit because the company is still running. So you you've been successful in terms that you've managed to keep it self-sustaining for the last six years. Um, I know that you've got a, a, a young son as well. Uh, you're obviously married. Yes. So you, you obviously were making enough money to sustain all of that. How long did it take you to get to that level? Well, okay. So here's a disclaimer. <laughs> I, I would like to think I'm married, right? <laughs> so my, my wife still runs the corporate. She has a corporate job and she gets the regular income. So we had discussed this prior to me leaving my job and that, that was sort of the that was sort of a big discussion for our family because the time that I told my wife I was resigning, uh, she told me that she was pregnant. So uh, <laughs> you know, it was sort of like a major decision. Yeah, you know, it just sort of all happened at once. 
And uh, we said, look, fine, you know, as a new business, we expect it not to be running a profit for the first couple of years, which it didn't. And uh, but now, you know, I think one of the things people don't um, sort of take into account is that you still have regular expenses. You have a mortgage, you have utilities, you have grocery bills, uh, you know, you have insurance, all those things still run. So thank goodness for my spouse who was able to, you know, sort of um, take on a lot of the load. And even to the stage, she still takes on a lot of the expenses, uh, even though the business is turning a reason, not a huge profit, but something where it's above the line. For a yeah. long time, it was it was making a loss for a long time. And I say a loss, not from a business sense, but just trying to cover my basic expenses from a, from a household perspective. Um, Nothing beats a corporate salary because it's steady. It's you know whether you're working or not, it's still there. And um, yeah, so unfortunately, it, it's only started to turn a profit at the beginning of this year. But that's a good sign. Um, and now we've got Corona. So how has it changed? <laughs> how has your business yeah. changed? Because obviously there has to be a lot of adaption in terms of the way business is done right now. I mean, yes. if you look at the news, not a single. Other news item is available at this stage. The entire world is shut down. Everything is all about Corona and everything has kind of had to move digital. So I do know that when we spoke last week, your kendo classes, you'd moved online in terms of the the self-defense stuff. And how how do you work that online? Because, I mean, self-defense is quite a a hands-on type of industry if you will how are you coping with this need to move everything digital and the social distancing issues at the moment that we're experiencing okay good question so i'm gonna i'm gonna break into first just to on the traditional martial arts side the kinder stuff um yes so we've we've essentially moved all our classes onto an online virtual platform and when i say virtual platform is we we meet three times a week we train for an hour together when I say train together, we do this. We do the warm-ups, we do the the basic practice together. We obviously can't do the partner work, yeah. Where we need to put on the arm and spar. That will come when we train again. But kendo is one of those things where you can self-cultivate a lot of your discipline and your technique at home by yourself. And that's like in Japan, they don't train every day in a dojo. They train every day by themselves. And when they meet, is when they sort of put all those techniques into practice. And you know, I think South Africans, sort of people that I've met anyway, they feel that. You only do martial arts in the dojo, yeah. whereas it should become martial art is a lifestyle change. That every day you should be doing some kind of training that enhances your martial art, whether it's cardio, strength, fitness, or doing some basic skills training. And it's not just in the dojo. So kendo for that son, we, we meet three times a week and we train together. We try to have as much as an interactive session as possible where we're still doing the, you know, the counting together. We do the saburi together, saburi's basic practice. And it actually is quite a, a really nice sort of a social environment. And mm. I think what the coronavirus has taught us is that even though we're, we're social distancing, it doesn't mean we can't still connect with each other. And just by being in our virtual dojo, we connect with each other, you know, where it's just seeing someone on the screen, interacting with them like that. Technology allows us to still connect even though we're, we're distant. It's quite a nice conundrum we have there. <laughs> on the self-defense stuff, yes, absolutely. So you hit the nail on the head of what majority of people think about self-defense. And this is where sort of the way that I teach self-defense and what I do with my methodology, I'm trying to change the way you think about it. Most people only think self-defense in terms of kicking and punching. But for me, kicking and punching is the absolute last resort that you should go to. It's well, not the absolute last resort, but it's one of the options that you have. There is so many options, and, and most people are familiar with the whole term fight or flight. 
yeah. know, where they say, you know, either fight or, you know, you, know, you run away. Yes, those are two options. I've got another two options as well, which I teach in the self-defense uh, training. And, and self-defense for me is greater than just kicking and punching. Yes, if you're going to run, you're going to make that decision. You're going to run, fine. But there are three other ones as well. The one could be, for instance, what I call freeze. Okay, so most people are familiar with freezing in self-defense, where they freeze out of fear. But it can also be a conscious decision where you, where you freeze because you have to comply the, with the perpetrator. The guy's got a gun to your head or he's holding your family hostage. You're not going to try anything stupid. You're not going to run and leave your family behind. Therefore, comply. Most of the times, most criminals just want your stuff. Give it to them, let them go on. But that's a conscious decision that part of the self-defense training teaches you. Okay? Yeah. Then the other two, which the one I'll share with you, the one is called flip out. And it's not what you think about where you lose your mind, you're like, ah, someone's <laughs> trying to mug me. The flip part is if you have any personal protection tools, so be it a pepper spray, a, a tactical baton, uh, you know, you have a knife, you have a firearm, flip it out, bring it out, use it as a psychological tool. Say, listen, I've got pepper spray, come in closer, I will spray you. Now, believe it or not, that rehearsed line and that way of thinking takes practice. You have to practice that to be able to use it. It's not engaging physically with the person, but at the same time, you need to engage verbally with dialogue with the person. Mm. If you haven't practiced that, the idea is that when you need it under duress and under pressure, it's going to come out like, you know, it's going to come out all messed up and you'll miss the point of that whole flip arts option. The last one, the depth strategies, but I call a high-level strategy. It's a negotiation tool. One of, one of them is, for instance, posturing, right? I can posture up, hey, listen, I'm Asian. You really want to try to make me? I'll kick your ass. I have kung in my blood. Right? <laughs> Posturing up. Right? Yeah. But at the same time, I can posture down. Hey, listen, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a young father. I have a five-year-old. I just want to grow old for my son, see my grandkids. I posture down. Those kind of methodologies or those negotiation tactics takes practice. And again, it, it's, it's self-defense. But again, a lot of the schools only teach you kicking and punching. <laughs> so yeah. my my sort of uh, my response to self defense is a lot wider. But the idea is it's got to be practiced, it's got to be rehearsed, it's got to be something that you're comfortable with, and more importantly, it's got to answer your primary question. And I say primary question because that's the foundation of your self defense. What are you willing to fight, die, and kill for? If you can honestly tell me what it is right now, then yes, that's self defense. Make a logical decision now rather than an emotional decision at the time that it happens. So an example is road rage. Most people give in to the emotional response of someone cutting in front of them, but they don't ask the question, is this something worth fighting, dying, and killing for? And then they sort of send, they're chasing this guy down the road, then they catch, they, it's sort of like, uh, what do you do with it now? You, know, you guys going to get out and have a bit of a, a boxing match? Someone might end up injured or dead in a road rage incident. A guy accidentally shoots the person, uh, takes him to the hospital, and turned himself in. That's happened last year, November, December. It was exactly that, that incident. And that's road rage giving into emotional decisions rather than having a rational, logical decision that you've made. I think a lot of people kind of equate the physical aspect of self-defense to martial arts. But, you know, what a lot of people don't realize, I think, is that martial arts is any kind of fighting you do in a martial art, in a tournament, it's all very controlled. There's rules in place. And in terms of self-defense, there are no rules. So like you say, um, the, what you have at your disposal in, uh, in terms of self-defense is quite different from a martial arts tournament fighting in a ring setup so yeah uh, i thank you for for clarifying that i, I think that that's a 
a popular misconception. Absolutely, and and, and it's and it's, it's not um, it's not a bad misconception. You know, there are like I said, there are some martial arts that that really do have the, the whole self-defense ethos at the foundation of the martial art. But the reality is, martial arts has evolved from what it was to what it is now. It's become an art form. It's a way of expressing yourself. Even Bruce Lee said it best, is that, you know, martial arts should be a way to express yourself as freely as possible. And, uh, yeah, some people have taken it to the one extreme and others to the other side. So it allows interpretation in all spectrums, which is great. Something that a, a couple of my friends and I were chatting about in terms of the crime rates, we're obviously now in a lockdown situation and we're seeing a little bit of looting and that kind of thing. But we're quite concerned in terms of what's going to happen once the lockdown is lifted. What is your view in terms of what's going to happen with the crime rate? Because all of us are kind of expecting there to be a, a a spike as things go back to normal. Yeah, look, I think um, I think the perception out there is that crime has stopped, but I think the fact is it's just ha it hasn't been reported on. I can use a personal example. Our complex alone, just prior to the lockdown, we had three attempted break-ins to our complex. Three electric fences were cut. Now, thankfully, you know, nothing nothing happened of it. You know, they tried to get in, but the logs went off, and etc., etc. But the, the and it wasn't reported purely for the fact that everybody's focus is now on the coronavirus. So it, it, there might be a misconception out there. I don't have enough data to say is there or isn't there crime happening out there. Mm. But the reality is the crime is still going to be there. It's just that once the lockdown and the sort of the focus is off of that, it's going to look like it's spikes because all of a sudden now the news guys going to say, "Listen, well, we've got nothing else to report on. Let's report on the crime again." Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's that's the only reason. But trust me when I say uh, it's probably still happening quite frequently. Um, you know, stats like the the stats that we have, you know, something like fifty-eight murders per day. Those are very abnormal stats, and for them to suddenly disappear is is not possible. It's going to take years of rehabilitation and active policing from our side for it to be gone. I think, you're, you know, the thing is, it will look like it spikes when, when the lockdown is, is uh, removed. Uh, but the reality is it's just that it's going to be reported more after the lockdown. Yeah. You mentioned at the beginning of the chat, you do Kyusho, Kendo, Kung Fu, Aido, Taekwondo, Tai Chi, Qigong. Like you say, you've done firearms training as well. A lot of people make the mistake of following a passion in terms of yes. uh, trying to turn a passion into something that they can make money off of. And it all often falls flat because once a passion is a job, it's a job and you're relying on that for money. So how has your transition from being super passionate or translated into a money generating business? Have you retained the passion that you had for all the, uh, the stuff that you were doing prior to having to rely on it for money? Right. Okay. So um, I did mention also, uh, you know, at one stage I, I didn't want to charge to teach martial arts because that would sort of detract from my passion from the purity of the martial arts. And, and I think for me that, that thinking was a, a big hampering block to make my, my business flourish. And maybe just to sort of correct myself, you know, I think following your passion is, is one third of the way, you know. And I think you've got, to, you've got to, number one, love what you do. And that's the passion part. But at the same time, you also got to be good at it. You've got to have a flair. You've got to have the ability to be able to do what you're passionate about. You now, it's pointless for me saying, you know, I've got a passion for flying, but I have no freaking clue how to fly a plane. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a difference there that if I can teach it with my passion, with, you know, and I, I love it and I'm good at it, that's the second part. And the third part is there's got to be a need for it. 
there's got to be something which the market wants, you know, sort of, you know, they, they want what I have to offer. Uh, the Japanese have a nice term that's called Ikigai. I don't know if you've ever, ever Yes, yeah, I, I'm aware of the term, yeah. But maybe, uh, I don't know if you want to just explain it for the audience. Ikigai is basically the three concepts we speak about is, you know, what do you love? What is your passion? What is it that you're good at? All right. And then the third part, which is what is it that the market wants? And it's those overlaps of all threes where sort of the opportunity lies for a business, number one. And obviously where people will strive and sort of grow. And that for me, like I said, you know, it was a, it was very elusive at first because I love teaching. I didn't want to charge money for it, even though people would want me to. And it was that sort of limiting belief that, you know, I, I want to teach, but I don't want money for it. That sort of prevented me from sort of flourishing as a teacher, and as a martial arts teacher, and as a business. But once I accepted that, I think I could, I could see the results, and especially the last three months prior to the coronavirus, is that I still teach my heart out with passion to the, in, the, in the classes that I had. And I'm, I was getting quite a lot of students, a lot of traction, and then I was still enjoying it. I get my joy from teaching, not not from the money. The money is a secondary as a, as a such. And my resentment at one stage is that I was teaching with so much passion, but I wasn't being paid for it. And I still got bills. I still had to drive to the dojo. You know, I didn't get any money for it. And then when I accepted that, listen, it's okay to get money for something that I'm passionate about. Because the reality was that I had to change my belief that what I had to offer was of value and that people were willing to pay me for that value. And once I accepted that, it was okay. So I think that for me was a, a big changing point in my life and in my business, in my business as well. Well, I've already gone through all the stuff that you do and that kind of goes into my next question in terms of there's a lot of conflicting information about providing a niche product versus uh, diversifying your offering so that you are tapping into more than just one market. On one right. hand, obviously your growth is, is limited if you niche too much, but on the other, if you diversify too much, you become kind of run of the mill and you're offering the same thing as everyone else. So how have you kind of structured your offering to niche but diversify at the same time? I sort of had to really dig deep about six months, six to 12 months ago in terms of answering the question, do I diversify to a point where some of the things I was doing I wasn't even interested in, or do I stay niched in terms of where I am? And when I, the first part of 12 months ago, I, I had looked at doing, you know, just keep myself afloat, you know, business was bad from a self-defense perspective, and I was like, maybe I need to go back into corporate and do a sort of a project management part-time or you know, I had one stage also thought about opening a, a branding business where we do corporate branding. And, um, you know, I started dabbling in all of that, but it started taking a lot of energy. Our energy is only limited. And it was a choice between, listen, I can I can put 100% energy into my martial arts business, or I can split into half of this and half into project management and a little bit into sort of dabbling onto the corporate branding. What I decided, and some people might have it, different views and I wanted to keep all my energy within the same sphere that I'm passionate about and that I loved and that was the martial arts and that's where sort of warrenho.net came along is that I still wanted to do self-defense but I love the traditional martial arts stuff and I also like um, sort of coaching people in terms of helping them what I you know what I call the unlocking their potential so I wanted to do a coaching program as well to be a later phase and hence, sort of um, the three branches of what my business does now. 
is I do the traditional martial arts, which is kendo and yaido. I do the self-defense stuff, which is sort of an amalgamation of all the more practical stuff of self-defense and offer to corporate as team buildings. And then there's going to be the, the online coaching stuff, which uh, is still to come. Okay. But those all sort of fell in line of what I was, uh, I was passionate about, I felt I was reasonably good at, and it was something which I felt the market would be willing to pay me for. And that was keeping it within that sphere of nicheness, still within the martial arts, self-defense, personal development perspective. So okay. I've forgotten all the other ideas of project management and corporate branding and whatever else I, I you know, sort of dabbled in at that stage. Okay. I asked Kelly for, for selfish reasons because I yeah. <laughs> I have the opportunity to look at developing an app. I, I came up with an idea. To cut a long story short, the, the, the idea was not necessarily going to be lucrative in terms of being able to sustain itself financially. And we kind of threw a couple of other ideas around and, well, we came up between between the people on the call, we came up with a, a great idea that looked like it was going to be very uh, financially lucrative, but it just didn't get my blood pumping, you know, like, I, yeah. and I don't know in terms of doing, you know, following the money, I don't know if that's necessarily the right way forward. If, if you're not invested in something on a, yeah. you know, on an emotional level, I think um, you, you're not really going to get any benefit out of it if, if you're just chasing the money. Well, absolutely. And, you know, I think back of my corporate days where, you know, I was earning a really good salary and if I think back then of what I was earning you know I was earning a really good salary for doing minimal work and uh, I hope none of my ex-bosses hear me say this <laughs> you know my typical day back in the corporate day would be I would get to work at nine have breakfast with a friend till about 10 10 30 check my mail for half an hour then I'd go for brunch and lunch go to gym come back to the office check my mail and check on my staff and then go home by four and that was, that would, you know, any given person would be like, geez, man, that's like ideal. But it was soul destroying mm. because it was work just going there every day. And even though I was getting a paycheck, it was like, why am I doing this? This is like killing me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is like soul destroying. All I'm doing every day is push papers. You know, I had a staff of 13 people. I was telling them what to do. I was signing off and, you know, not to sound uh, more important, but I was signing off like, um, Documents that said, you know, this project's going to cost fifty thousand. This one's going to cost two point four million. I was signing it with like paper money. Really asking myself, is this really what I want to do for the rest of my life? And this, that was one of the turning points is when I realized that listen, I'm wasting my life here. I'd rather do something I'm totally passionate about and live a life worth living for. Yeah. And that's when I decided to sort of leave the corporate world. And it's the same for you. You know, when you look at your your opportunities, you you got to understand that you only have so much time and so much energy left. For you and for your other stuff, do you really want to take it away from that? Would you rather give one hundred percent into what you really love, what you what you know you're good at, and you know where you can improve as well? And again, you know something which there is a potential market for it. That that was what I that was sort of part of my thinking. So hope it helps. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, thanks for that. It does, yeah. um, you know, it just, it, it helps clarify uh, one's thinking, I think, when, when you hear it coming from other people. Because I think on a, I don't know, if you want to call it a primal level, you know that that's the right decision. But at the end of the day, we all have to make money. And the, the, the allure of trying to do something just for, purely for the sake of making money, yeah. it's difficult to turn that down. Um, especially when you, you've said yourself, you know, the business kind of went through a slump and all that kind of thing. So what do you do to just keep 
things running so that you can continue uh, pursuing it. Yeah. But yeah, no. like you say, the amount of energy that it needs uh, kind of is is a, a massive roadblock for me. But you know what? I, I think you're, you know, you hit, it's also something to realize as well. As much as I, you know, I talk and I preach about the, the icky guy, is yes, there are still your basic needs that you need to uphold, you know, whether it's food, shelter, you know, relationships, you know, your your basic Maslow's hierarchy of needs teaches us your basic needs, right? I can I can relate, I'll give you a quick story, you know, a couple of years ago where, you know, business wasn't good at all. You know, I was not bringing in any income. And I was so desperate that I was like, okay, I'll do anything. And just so happened that there was a um, sort of a casting call for you know, sort of background uh, TV work and all of that. So I was even doing that kind of stuff where it was pathetic. It was like two, three hundred bucks a day, right? Before tax. <laughs> I was even going for that. That's how desperate I was just to get some kind of cash going, you know? Yeah. And it would be a decision like, do I drive there? Because just driving there would cost me 50 bucks. And I'm going to get more than 50 bucks just to be able to, you know, sort of show some kind of profit where I'm, it was that desperate at one stage. And um, it just so happened that one of these things I, I auditioned for happened to be a, a role for sort of like a, it's a now defunct Cinemax uh, TV series called Warrior. And I was one of the background extras. That turned out quite nicely because not only did I get to, you know, I get to be part of this, this TV series, but it was uh, sort of based on Bruce Lee's work. Oh, cool. I got to train with some exceptional martial artists, so we were paid to actually train, and they flew us to Cape Town, and it, you know, it was decent money. Uh, the, the only bad thing about it was that it was based in Cape Town, so I had to be away from my family for almost six weeks, which was very difficult, especially with a young son, and you know, my wife's still trying to keep up with her job and pay the bills, mm. so not being at home really left me quite a lot. It was like, I had to make a decision, you know, it was sort of like, well, I'm making a little bit of money, but it's not much, uh, and I'm away from my family, but I'm getting to do something that I never thought I'd do, which is like being on a TV series, which Bruce Lee had envisaged, and I'm getting to train with some amazing martial artists. So, yeah, sometimes those those decisions are, are tough, but you, you need to make a call. Yeah, yeah. We've kind of covered this a little bit already in terms of automation. Automation has been a buzzword for the last while uh, as companies look to reduce overhead costs. And now with the, the COVID-19 lockdown, many people have turned to the digital world to try and keep their businesses afloat. How do you see business in general changing due to this? There's, there seems to be a kind of split that half people think that it's going to go back to normal. The other half thinks that this is going to change everything and business as we know it is, is going to have changed once this is all over. I'd, I'd like to get your input and, and your opinion on how you think this is going to change. Well, I think I can only really speak from my business perspective, right? I think some businesses still require very much a hands-on, in-the-face kind of, um, sort of delivery. You know, I'm, I'm in the service delivery. I teach martial arts. So I have to be, at one stage, face-to-face with a person. You know, whether it's in a dojo or on online, I have to be face-to-face with a person. So from that sense, you know, I think the appeal is still that we have a sort of a, a real-time interaction with each other and being in each other's physical presence does help, but it doesn't mean that we can't use technology to enhance it like we are now. We have Zoom and we have all these wonderful apps which will allow us to sort of do it online. But there will come to a point where people, it just becomes oversaturated. I think so many people have gone online now. One of my students actually said to me, listen, I can't do any more Zoom sessions because, you know, she homeschools the kids. The kids are online pretty much, you know, from eight until about five. And she wants the kids just to have less screen time. <laughs> so yeah. it doesn't help with 
of us modern technology. <laughs> so her decision was, listen, we're not going to do any more Zoom sessions after five, which unfortunately was my class, was at 6.30. So they won't be joining me on the online session. But she said, once we start, obviously, our regular classes, she'll be back. So some people want to have that physical uh, interaction or sort of being say real interaction with the person. And that's where I think businesses will sort of realize is what businesses can go online and which ones can't. You know, some businesses at this time are flourishing. They are doing phenomenally well, whereas others where you need to, if you rely face-to-face, just doesn't work as well. So businesses will have to adapt. I think things like handshaking or think uh, people are going to become more weary. One of my sales coaches actually said that, you know, this is actually the, the beginning of the death of the handshake, you know, where people actually engaged. And who knows, they might go into, for a long time, Asia, you know, you, you never shook hands with people, you bow to them. Touching hands was almost a sort of taboo. So it might come to a point where we revert back to that more Confucian kind of lifestyle and uh, business meeting like. I think also meetings, I think people realize that how much time is wasted actually sitting in an actual meeting. Whereas if you're in a Zoom session, you've only got an hour, you've only got 30 minutes because <laughs> there's so much more you can actually fit in. So yeah, it definitely will change, but I think it, it depends on which industry and which business uh, businesses you're in. I do think that this is potentially the death of the communal office. I think that with people working from home, mm. it's actually the perfect case study now to prove that it can be done. There's no reason these days well, in my opinion, that you need to get an entire workforce underneath the same roof in order to accomplish something. Absolutely. But then again, it also comes down to the the individual workers, um, you know, in terms of work ethic and how, how reliable they are to actually sit at home and do their, do their work rather than messing around and, yeah. you know, just doing the bare minimum. Yeah, you know, on that note as well, you know, I'm, I'm not a human behaviorist, but I think there's something to be said as well about sitting at home by yourself and I know this because as an entrepreneur, for the first two years, I was pretty much sitting at home and going from an office of like thousands of people and I had my own sort of my group of 13 plus me 14 and all of a sudden just working by yourself is that yes, you have to have discipline, number one. And number two, you know, the reality is you get lonely sitting in front of a computer. You know, you, you yearn for human interaction. If it's just someone present in the room or someone... Um, to have a cup of coffee or just someone you can sort of uh, engage physically with. Again, I'm not a human behaviorist, but for me, when I was an entrepreneur, that, that was a big thing for me as well. Humans are social animals, uh, you know, and I'm speaking, I'm, I'm quite introverted and I find social interaction difficult, but working from home, it does drive you slightly crazy, even though I do prefer it to being in an office, especially an open plan office. I found that absolutely yes. terrible, but you do have to get yeah. out. I, I don't think it's necessarily going to kill face-to-face interactions, this yeah. working digitally, but I, I do think that the amount of interaction is going to probably change it's still important to have that face-to-face contact for yeah, your, for your you know, I, I and I just observed for myself and my wife and my wife's here, right? The, the fact that if we have to go to the office, you have to make an effort to like brush your teeth, comb your hair, put on some decent clothing. And I, I think both you and I are like introverted. Like, even though we have to go out, we still want to be presentable. And that sort of accounts for a lot in terms of just our general self-esteem. Uh, if we look good, we'll feel a bit better about ourselves. But the fact that we're behind a screen, I mean, I'm wearing a shirt now that's full of holes, uh, you know, <laughs> shoes on, I mean, people pants, 
Uh, and yeah, I'm pretty much a slob at the moment. But the fact is, if I had to go out, I would, I would obviously put on my decent clothing and maybe some deodorant, maybe. <laughs> but, that, but that act of actually make, grooming myself makes me feel good. And it's not for anyone else other than for me to make myself feel better. And I think self-esteem is a big thing in terms of confidence, being productive, good mental health, etc., etc. On that note, I'd like to just maybe end off with a quick fire round. Okay. So the first question, define success. Oh, hold on. Um, <laughs> uh, success is a, a self-defining one. I think whatever your, your definition of success is, you've got to be comfortable with it, and, but you've got to be honest with yourself as well, okay? So success is what you define for, it, for yourself, and you've got to be comfortable there it is what uh, success means to you. So it's very individualized. Okay. How do you usually start your day? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a physical training guy. So I have to have some kind of training in the morning or, you know, before 12. So whether it's a bit of yoga, a bit of stretching, or I do strength and conditioning with the online gym at the moment, uh, or some training, I have to do something physical, walking the dogs. So for me, that that's a big contributing factor for the rest of my day. If I don't have that, then I'm cranky for the rest of the day. <laughs> what do you do when you're not working on your business? Um, look, I'm a, I'm a family man as well. So my family is very important to me, uh, especially my son. He's five, so he takes a lot of time. So when I do have free time, it's normally spent with him doing stuff. Or, you know, we try to do things as a family. So him and his mother, uh, my wife, we all try to do something as a family. Whether we're building, painting, we're playing Monopoly, playing, you know, uh, just weekend alone, we were building a, a rocket jet for him out of boxes. So oh, that cool. Was cool. Yeah, so it's it's doing family stuff. Cool. What do you rely on for continued learning? So, yeah, a variety. I think the majority at the moment is I, I have two coaches slash mentors. Uh, specifically, there are sales mentors, but uh, I see that you know, sales encompasses both the inner and outer game, as they put it. It's called the leading game of sales. So they are, they are hugely inspirational and important for my personal development and then books i have a lot of books and research articles well not say research articles books on martial arts uh, kendo specifically and uh, and the ido as i'm i'm doing that as well now and then yeah online resources you know i think there's a lot of online resources specifically again for kendo uh, that I, I look at and i read and I research yeah so all three of those things okay People, cool. books and online material cool if you could impart one piece of advice on how to build a successful business or a life in general, I'll leave that open to your own interpretation. What would it be? Okay, so I've uh, so part of my coaching program, and I call it the the, what, the sort of life lifestyle of a warrior. There, there were three principles that I sort of for myself I defined, and I found that if you, know, if you can build this foundation, everything else will be fine. And and it's three pillars, which I call uh, self confidence, resilience, and discipline. And those three things uh, in that combination was essential for building up your, your foundation. Uh, so self-confidence, obviously, you know, building a bit of confidence in yourself, getting started and motivated, that's important. Resilience, you know, when you get knocked down, getting back up and keep on going. And the last one, which is an important one, is discipline. Even when the going gets tough, you keep doing it over and over again. And that's the discipline. So those three pillars for me are foundation, not only to martial arts, but for me as uh, in my life, in my personal development. That's awesome. That brings us to the end. Where can people find you online? Yeah, yeah so everything, um, if you go to warrenho.net, so www.warrenho.net, uh, links to all my other self-defense martial arts and the coaching stuff is on there and all the links to social media as well. So I do run an Instagram and Facebook, warrenho.net as well. 
and uh, yeah, links to my dojo and links to my self-defense trainings all, all on that as well. Okay, fantastic. I'll include that in the show notes um, so that people have got a, a link that they can just click on to get through to you. Perfect. Thanks, Megan. I really appreciate that. I, I appreciate you taking the time to chat to me. No, thank you, Megan. And thanks for uh, obviously inviting me to be part of your show. And of course, um, I hope it goes well and everything else that you decide or not deciding to do goes yeah. well as well. Awesome. Thanks, Warren. Follow the Business of Podcast on my website, megamillist.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the YouTube channel at Megamillist. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Megan Darcy, M-E-G-A-N-D apostrophe A-R-C-Y. Chat soon.